This morning's message is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 to 19. And the title for the message, More is Not Always Better. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 to 19. And the Word of God says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we pray now, Lord, as we continue to walk through this uh, section of the first epistle to the church in Corinth, uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and our instructor. We pray that you would enable uh, me and us to be faithful to your word, to rightly understand it, Lord God. And uh, in the end, we pray that you would use your word to impact our mind, to impact our souls, and to make us more like Christ. And Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In a culture that is driven by consumerism and competition and capitalism and quite simply the desire to succeed, it can be very easy for churches to get caught up and to uh, get caught up in the desire of wanting to uh, compete with the Joneses, so to speak. Uh, to compete with the mega churches down the street, to be the talk of the town, to be the church that everyone wants to come to, right? What church doesn't want that? To be fair, and I want to be fair, that this, this is not always driven by a desire to simply be a large, impressive church. There are many Christians, there are many churches out there that have a genuine desire to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they simply believe that offering lots of bells and whistles in the church is how you attract people to the church and then once you get them inside the church, well then you can, you can give them the gospel and they can hear uh, the word of God. The idea is that we need to offer them the things that will pique their interest. 
and get them into the door first. But even this, even this idea, as pure as it sounds, is driven by consumerism. It's driven by the, the idea of consumerism. Because why not just offer Christ? Why not just offer God's word? Because that is not what the world is looking for. It's not what the world desires. That is not what people want. Not only that, but often we hear about all of the amazing things that other churches are doing, all of the amazing activities and ministries that they have going on, and it can be easy for churches to begin to think to themselves, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could do those sort of things? Wouldn't it be nice if we could offer those sort of activities and ministries? We hear of churches that bring in uh, contemporary Christian music artists or bands on a Friday night and half the county is there and it's just a great time of worship and ministry. But of course, we realize that in order to do that, you have to have a, a sanctuary that is large enough. And to have a sanctuary that is large enough, you need to have funds. And to have funds, you need more people. And if you're going to have more people, you've got to figure out a way to draw them in to the church so that you can have more people and do bigger and greater things. But it all begs the question, why? What are we trying to do as a church? What are we trying to accomplish as a church? Are we trying to point people to Christ? Because if so, then just do that. Just point people to Christ. Are we trying to edify their souls? Or are we trying to keep people's interests? Are we trying to pique their interests? Because in the end, more is not always better. Churches, I'm convinced, more and more should shoot for quality over quantity. Whatever it is a church does, whatever few things they may do, they should strive to do them well. To bring God the greatest glory. They should shoot for quality over quantity. And in fact, this is exactly the message that Paul is communicating to the church in Corinth in the passage that we are looking at this morning. Notice he begins by saying, therefore. Which means that Paul is picking up where he left off from the previous section, verses 6 to 12. In other words, in light of the fact that the church should strive to excel in building up the church, right? That's what he says at the end of verse 12. Then, verse 13, therefore. One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. You know, Paul's point, I think, is pretty straightforward. If a person has the gift of tongues and prays in tongues, that person should also pray that God would give him the ability to interpret what he's saying. To be able to interpret that language, because even if he prays by himself, even if he prays to himself, he's not really benefiting from it because he has no idea what he's saying. Sure, he's praying in tongues, but he doesn't even know what he's saying. So how beneficial is that even to the person that is doing the praying? Notice again what Paul says in verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind is not helped, is his point. My mind will not grow in the knowledge of God, and therefore I will not grow in my sanctification and in being transformed into the character of Christ. Because sanctification is not a monergistic work of God. Sanctification is not something that God does alone and to you, and we are simply passive in our sanctification. Rather, the Holy Spirit works through God's Word, impacting our minds in order to sanctify our souls and to conform us more into the character of Christ. The use of the mind in the writings of Paul is extremely important in the process of sanctification. For example, in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul says this, Romans 8, 5, and 6, Paul writes this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. In other words, those who live according to the flesh do so because they set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Holy Spirit, walk with the Holy Spirit, do so because they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul sees the mind sort of like a spiritual muscle if you will, that we can choose to either set, we can choose to set our mind on the things of the flesh, the things of this world, or we can choose to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace, according to Paul. To set our minds on the flesh is death. This is something that we do. We choose to set our mind on the things of God 
or on the things of this world. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, in that passage, Paul will argue that if you want to live like Christ, you've got to have the mind of Christ. You've got to think the way Christ thought, and that will impact the way that you live. He'll say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that Paul destroys every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and takes every thought captive to obey Christ. That's how Paul lived. He took every thought captive to the Word of God. In other words, my point is that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, whether we're reading it or hearing it, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He uses it to impact our minds first which then transforms our soul and our character. Thus, for Paul, if the mind is not being benefited, it will have little impact on our soul. It will have little impact on our soul. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 and 14, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret for that is, because if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind will not be benefited. But what does Paul mean by that phrase, my spirit prays? You know, Paul understands that all spiritual gifts are just that. They're spiritual, right? They're given to us by the Holy Spirit. We carry them out in the Holy Spirit. Thus, when one uses their spiritual gift, regardless of what that gift is, it is a spiritual event that is taking place. It is a spiritual activity that is taking place. Spiritual thing that is happening. And certainly, minimally, my spirit is involved. Even if you pray in your own language, your spirit is involved with you praying. Your spirit is who you are. When you're studying God's word, your spirit is involved in the study of God's word because your spirit is who you are. You're engaged in a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual thing that is taking place. Thus, to pray in tongues even without understanding what is being said, is to pray with one's spirit. And the question is this, then isn't that a good thing? I mean, isn't prayer a good thing? And if my spirit is praying, isn't that a good thing, even if I don't understand what I am praying? It's good, right? Paul doesn't think so. Notice what he says in verse 15. What am I to do then? 
If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind doesn't know what I'm saying. Paul says, what do I do about this situation? What should I do if I have the gift of tongues and I pray in tongues, but I have no clue of what I'm saying? Verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Understand that praying and singing are spiritual activities. Those are spiritual events. When we pray in our own language, when we sing in our own language, we are praying and singing with our spirit. Our spirit is involved in these spiritual activities. So if there is no one to interpret what is being said by the person who desires to speak or to pray in a tongue, here's what you do according to Paul. You pray and you sing with your spirit. That's a given, right? You pray and you sing with your spirit and, Paul says, with your mind. That is, with your understanding. That is, in a language that you understand, which would be your own language, unless you have the gift of tongues to interpret your own tongues. But if that were the case, why speak in that foreign language to begin with? You should pray and sing in a language that both you and those around you understand. Now, let me just say, by way of qualifying my words, Paul will later say that if you must pray in a tongue, if you just can't resist praying in a tongue, Paul will say later on in verses 27 and 28, then pray to yourself and to God. Keep quiet. Pray silently. Notice verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And that makes sense, because whether you're praying in tongues in a foreign language or you're praying in your own native language, what did Jesus tell us about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5? Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, Jesus says, don't pray so that other people will see you and think, oh, how godly that person is. Wow, how amazing his prayers are. Well, isn't that what the church in Corinth is doing? If people are speaking in tongues publicly, nobody knows what's being said. What is the point of that? Paul has already stated, my mind is unfruitful. I don't even understand what I'm saying. What is the benefit other than maybe... To have people see you and hear you and think, oh, how godly that person is. They have the gift of tongues. How amazing that must be. 
And so the first reason Paul gives that a person should not pray in tongues, if there is no interpreter, is that the person who is praying is not benefited. You're not even benefited because you don't know what you're saying. But there's a second reason that Paul offers why one should not pray in tongues without an interpreter, and it's in verse 16. He says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17, For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And remember, that's the goal, right? That's what Paul said at the end of verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. Remember that the Greek word for amen literally means truly or I agree. In our modern context, we tend to just think that's just how you end prayers, right? That's like the, the period at the end of a prayer. You got you to say amen. But in biblical times, this practice started because they were saying, I agree. That's a great prayer. I'm with you. I agree with what you are saying. But if the person cannot understand what is being said, Paul is saying, how can he really say amen? I have no idea what you just prayed for. In good conscience, I can't really say amen. I, I don't know if that's a good prayer or not. Because I have no idea what you were talking about. And if someone is an outsider, as Paul says, and comes in from outside the church and certainly has no idea what the person is saying or really what is even going on, if everybody is standing around speaking in tongues, how is he going to agree with you? How is he even going to make sense of what is happening in the church? As Paul says in verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough. It may be a good prayer, but the other person is not being built up because they just, they don't know what you're saying. It's just, it's common sense, really. In other words, a prayer may be good, but it's not benefiting people who don't know what you're saying. Now, there's some debate, there is some debate regarding the translation of verse 16. And you may have noticed that if you have a different translation other than the English Standard Version, which is what I am using. Some translations read, How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen? Other translations say, How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen? Still, other translations say, How can someone else who was now put in the position of an inquirer, say, amen. Right? So the Greek is difficult to understand at this point, but either way, all scholars agree, all Greek scholars agree that Paul has in mind someone who is new to this in some way. Paul is either referring, some, referring to someone who has come in from outside the church, maybe a visitor, or someone who is in the church, but they're ungifted. They don't have the gift of interpretation, or maybe they don't have any spiritual gift that they're aware of. And so either way, 
we're talking about someone who is just going to be confused by this because they're either new or maybe they're a young believer or maybe they've been in the church for a while, but they do not have the gift of interpretations or any spiritual gift that they are able to discern. How will they be blessed if they don't know what is being said? And so Paul is saying simply this, just don't do it. That's Paul's point. If there is no interpreter, just don't do it. However, Paul doesn't want Paul doesn't want to be seen as discouraging the use of tongues or disparaging the gift of tongues and making it seem insignificant. And so he says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In other words, Paul reminds them and he wants them to understand that he's not writing these things out of jealousy or envy, right? Because it, it, could, it could be really easy for the church in Corinth to read these words and think to themselves, oh, Paul, you know, Paul, you're just saying this because you don't speak in tongues. You're just jealous. And so you don't want us to speak in tongues. That's why you're saying it. So Paul reminds them, you know, look, I, I, I do speak in tongues more than all of you which would imply that Paul spoke in a variety of languages. That's not really the issue. That's not really the issue. The issue is what Paul says in verse 19. Nevertheless, Paul says, despite the fact that I do speak in tongues and more than any of you, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my Mind, with my understanding, in order to instruct others, in order to bless others, in order to build up and edify others, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because Paul was always most concerned about edifying the church, building up believers. What Paul really wants them to understand and what he really wants them to grasp is that it's not about impressing people. It's not about impressing people. It's not about being like the Joneses. It's not about being like other people are doing what other people are doing or having what other people have. It's not about competing with other churches or trying to catch up to other churches. It's about being faithful in ministry. It's about being faithful to God's word. It's about desiring to bring God the greatest glory. It's about being a blessing to others, ministering to others, benefiting others, edifying others, building up the church. That's what matters. Not what gift you have or don't have and who has it and whether or not people know you have it. More is not always better. Sometimes less is better because it's about quality over quantity. And it's always easy to nod our heads as Christians, it's always easy to nod our heads at statements like this, right, and intellectually agree. Yep, I agree with you. 
Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I totally agree. That's right. But it is quite another thing to be consistent year after year and be faithful in ministry. Not having all of the bells and whistles and not feeling the itch to want to wow people. Because the desire to want to wow people is always a temptation for most people. Why? Because we all struggle with pride. At some point, we will all have that desire to want to impress someone and to have other people make much of us. Because this is what pride does. It is particularly a great temptation in ministers. I can tell you that. Years ago, one of the first books I ever read on the topic of homiletics, and homiletics is basically a technical term for the art of preparing and delivering sermons. And uh, when you go to seminary, you take a class. If you major in pastoral ministry, you take a class on homiletics where you uh, learn and practice how to prepare and deliver messages. And one of the first books I ever read on that topic made the point that pastors need to be careful to not give in to the desire to wow the congregation. To simply be faithful to the text and to preach the message of God's word. Because pastors who give in to the desire to want to wow their congregation week after week, always finding something new and exciting that makes the church go, whoa, I never knew that was there. Every week you bring out something I've never seen before. Pastors who are driven by that desire run the risk of preaching heresy. Because at this point in church history, 2,000 years post the resurrection of Christ, if someone is still finding something new week after week in the Word of God, that's a red flag. I've never forgotten that lesson. And so when it comes to preaching, my goal has always been to simply figure out what the main message is by the original author to the original audience, and that's what I preach. Whether it wows you or not, it may be new, it may be something that we've all heard a thousand times before. And Paul is simply reaffirming what I've been taught by those early books on homiletics and what my old homiletics professor would say to us very often in class. It's not about wowing people. It's about blessing people. It's about ministering to people. It's about feeding the sheep and ministering to their souls. As Paul might say, I would rather speak five words in a sermon in a way that would really benefit and impact people rather than preach a 10,000-word sermon that doesn't benefit anyone. What Paul wants the church in Corinth 
to mentally grasp and what we need, what we need in this church to take hold of is that the church needs to focus on the things that really matter. Focus on those things that will instruct the mind of others and edify their souls and grow them in their faith and help them to become more like Christ. Because if it doesn't do that, then just don't do it. Let's, as a church, not do it if it is really not going to benefit people's souls. If it's not going to make them more like Christ. No matter how impressive or how spectacular it may be, whatever it is, if it does not truly benefit and bless the hearers, we need to simply avoid it. I think this was the mistake that the church in Corinth was making. They were all praying for the gift of tongues. Obviously, this was really important. Paul, Paul spends an enormous amount of time dealing with this gift. They were all praying for the gift of tongues. They were all coming together and they were all speaking in tongues and everyone was so impressed by all that they were doing and they all felt so spiritually mature because we're all speaking in tongues and yet they were the complete opposite of spiritual maturity. They weren't mature at all. They weren't growing in their faith. They weren't growing in their sanctification. Their minds and therefore their souls were not being edified. And it showed, right? It showed all of the division and factions that were taking place in the church. They simply were not growing. There was so much lack of love in this church because they were more concerned. They were more concerned with outward appearance than with truly becoming like Christ. They were more concerned with others thinking that we are so mature because look at the gifts that we have. And they were not as concerned as they should have been about really building each other up, blessing each other, edifying each other, pointing each other to Christ. And it showed in all of the problems that they struggled with in that church. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we would be a church whose greatest concern truly is to know you more and to love you more and to point others to Christ. We pray that we would be the kind of church that simply would not care about impressing others. We would not care about others making much of us as a church or making much of us individually, but that our greatest desire would be to be biblical, to point others to Christ, to point each other to Christ, 
to love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to bring you the greatest glory that we can by being the most biblical that we can. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.